Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. As we get started this morning, I kind of want to set your eyes um, in a particular direction. And I want to ask you a question, and it's, and it's this. How do you view Jesus? Like if I were to say what comes to mind or, or what picture or, or is there something that comes to mind whenever you think of Jesus? Maybe it's like some of those old school paintings that kind of portray Jesus and, and he's always got like blonde hair and blue eyes and he's always doing like this, you know, or sometimes, have you ever seen the peace sign Jesus? Um, that's weird, right? But he always looks not very uh, Jesus-y. Uh, Jesus was probably not blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, you know, he's a Middle Eastern man, and so um, probably not that, but he always looks not helpful, right? Like, he looks very weak, and he doesn't, he doesn't look relatable. Like, he looks like somebody that has it all together and that you can um, maybe like emulate some of his characteristics, but he doesn't really understand like the things that you actually walk through. And like when, when life hits, when, when the mess hits, he doesn't look very helpful. You know what I mean? Um, like if you're getting in a fight, I'm not sure if he's the guy that you want standing next to you. You know what I'm talking about? Not, not that you should be fighting, um, but you understand what I'm saying. He doesn't look very, very helpful. He looks out of touch, right? How you view Jesus is so important. Um, Hebrews 12, 2, uh, scripture tells us, like, whenever, whenever life hits, how we endure life, we do that by setting our eyes on Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so if you're going to set your eyes on him, like when life hits, well, you better have an accurate picture of who he is. You better actually understand who he is and what he's like. And thankfully, the gospel accounts, and specifically John that we're walking through right now, Tell us stories that help us paint a picture in our mind of who Jesus actually is, the real, the real Jesus that we can actually lean on whenever things get tough. We see his character, we see him interact with people, we see him get very real. And today, what I hope to, for us to do, like if we could just leave here with this, it would be a success. I want us to see Jesus today down in the mess of life. And he's down where it's hard and where it's difficult and he's there with both feet and it's there in the mess where his grace and his love are most tangible. That's what we're talking about today. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to John chapter four. John chapter four, you know, we've been in a, a series in the book of John. Last week we were in John chapter three and, and it's the famous story of a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very uh, well-respected religious man, right? And Jesus has this conversation with him. And honestly, that conversation wouldn't have been like out of the norm. Uh, they meet at night probably because Nicodemus doesn't want his Pharisee buddies to, to see him doing that or something like that. But it actually would have been a respected conversation for Jesus, this rabbi Jewish teacher, to have a conversation with this man named Nicodemus, this well-respected religious guy, right? Nothing weird about that. Uh, John 3.16 is the famous verse there that says, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son, anyone who believes in him would, would be saved, right? And so you see that in the picture of Nicodemus, and, and again, this well-respected man, 
And, and we hear that God loves the world, but it's like, but does he really? Like, obviously, he loves the Nicodemus type, right? But does he really love the whole world? And then chapter four opens, and we see a completely different conversation take place with Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And so on the social uh, spectrum, Nicodemus is down here, and this woman is down here. We are covering everything in between with these two conversations here. And the one that we're seeing this morning is shocking, really. And the thing that it tells us is that Jesus is for everyone, Everyone everywhere needs Jesus, not just the Nicodemus type, everywhere along the social spectrum. Everyone needs Jesus. Before we jump into our text, I want us to pray. And so I'm gonna give you the opportunity just to prepare your heart for what God wants to say to you this morning. I'll pray for us as a group, and you take time just now uh, to pray for yourself. Ask God to speak to you in this moment. Let's pray together. God, we want to hear from you this morning. That's, that's why we've come. We wanna worship you and we wanna see you clearly. We want your word to speak to us. God, we did not come here to, ha to hear any wisdom or anything that David Rainey has to say. We, we wanna hear from you. And so God, I'm asking that the spirit would just move and speak in a real way this morning. Change our hearts. Help us to see the real Jesus down in the mess and your love and your grace that you have for us. We love you and we're listening. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, John chapter four. We're gonna read this whole story and we're gonna break it up into sections this morning, starting in verse one. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. So this is set in context for us. This is telling us where Jesus is and what he's doing. Verse four, he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar uh, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. Don't you love that Jesus got tired and he sat down? It's good news for us right there, right, that you can sit down when you're tired. Verse seven, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let's stop there just for a moment. And so we're gonna break down this passage this morning. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since I've really been able to uh, preach, and so I have not three points today, I have four points, and so if you're taking notes, four points today. The first thing that we see here in this passage, number one, Jesus embraces the awkward. Jesus embraces the awkward. How many of you um, would self-identify as an awkward type of person? I would. Um, I like to say I'm a recovering awkward person, and, and you're, you probably have seen that. Like if I've ever had a one-on-one -on -one with you before, you're probably like, this dude is kind of awkward, and I am. Um, I, I'm trying my best, though. And, and I think that um, a little bit of awkward actually keeps us humble, you know? So that's a, that's a good thing for us all to have. But here, we see this scene and it's kind of awkward, and Jesus just embraces it completely. So you gotta understand what's happening here. So see this scene. It says that he's headed to Galilee, and he passes through Samaria. In fact, verse four says he had to travel through Samaria, except for he didn't. Like, now I think, I think it's saying that he had to because Jesus understood that he had a divine appointment with this woman whenever he gets to this well, but technically, 
He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, it would have been normal for a Jewish man to not go through Samaria. He would have gone around Samaria, right? He would have gone around. See, see the, the Jews uh, didn't associate with the Samaritans. That's what verse nine tells us. She says, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And it goes back to our, our study in, in the Old Testament and our King's study. I love how the Bible all connects and all the dots connect. And, and so in our King series, we talked about, um, if you remember, um, the, the this nation of Israel split between the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, right? And the Northern Kingdom, you remember what the capital was? Samaria. And, and in 722 BC, whenever Assyria comes in and they uh, just wipe out the Northern Kingdom, uh, of Israel, they attack the capital city of Samaria, they ransack it, they, they deport a lot of the Jewish people living there, and, and, and the Assyrian people come and live in Samaria with them. So you have Jews and, uh, and Assyrians living together here in Samaria. And when they do, the Assyrians bring in their culture, they bring in their religion, they bring in all their false gods, they bring in all of that. And so over time, what happens is the Jewish people and the Assyrians, they start to intermarry with one another. And so by uh, default, over the years, you have blended nationalities, blended worship. And so the Jewish people looked at the Samaritans as kind of half-breeds, like not full Jews. They, they did not like them at all. They viewed them as less than, both socially and culturally and spiritually. The Jews had a real hate or a real prejudice for the people of Samaria, and so they would go literally out of their way to avoid them, but Jesus is different. Jesus intentionally goes to Samaria. He, he had to go, verse four tells us. He had to go to Samaria, And so it's an awkward scene. It's an awkward setting that's taking place, but then it's an awkward conversation that takes place. It's, it's shocking, really. Like Jesus sits down, says he was, he was tired and he was thirsty, which again, this is John the writer just showing us like, hey, remember, he's fully human. Like he's fully God and he's fully human. John 1.14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us, right? And so he is fully God. He's tired and he's thirsty. He sits down, he asks her for a drink of water. Now this is, it's probably more than just awkward. It's probably what we would say scandalous. It's shocking that Jesus would do this. Why? Well, first, she's a woman. And in this day, men did not speak to women in public, not even their wives most times. They for sure are not gonna talk to a Samaritan woman. They're for sure, for sure not gonna talk about religion with this woman, right? And we see that even she's shocked by it, verse nine. Like, she's shocked by it, and then uh, in a little bit, whenever the disciples show up in verse 27, they're shocked by it. The fact that he is speaking to this woman at the well is shocking. And so she's a woman, but also she's a Samaritan. We just talked about how the Jews don't associate with Samaritans. There's, there's a little bit more going on than just that, though. Like, if you have an NIV Bible, there's probably a little note somewhere, um, maybe at the bottom or, or something like that, on verse nine, that ours, ours, the CSB translates, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The NIV has a note that says it could be translated this way, Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Like they won't even use their, their dishes. Jews considered Samaritans unclean 100% of the time. Like ceremonially speaking, they were unclean, and it has to do with some 
weird, awkward things like menstruation and stuff that I don't want to talk about uh, this morning. But they thought 100% of the time they are unclean, they are dirty, I'm not even going to use the dishes that they use, okay? And so then Jesus says, give me a drink, which seems rude, <laughs> doesn't it? Like, fellas, you just walk in the room and tell your wife, like, give me a drink. That's, uh, you're going to get something, but probably not a drink. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not going to go well. But Jesus says, give me a drink. And, and in verse 11, we're told he doesn't even have his own bucket. He doesn't have anything to drink from. And so in this moment, like, do you see what he's communicating to her? Like, most Jews won't even drink out of the thing a Samaritan's ever drank from. And Jesus is saying, give me a drink out of your bucket, out of your cup. I, I, I want that. So what he's communicating in this moment is, you're not dirty. You're not less than. I'm a friend. I love you, right? In this moment, he is willingly, Jesus is willingly stepping into the awkward. He gets both of his feet dirty. Why? Because he loves her. Like, simple, like he, he loves her, and John 3.16 says he loves all of us. He loves each and every one of us. Think about what he was willing to do for us, how he willingly stepped into the awkward for us, how he stepped out of heaven and he took on human form and became flesh like us, John 1.14 says. He became, uh, Matthew calls him Emmanuel, God with us. Like, that, that is who Jesus is. His whole ministry is about being with us, and on the cross, even though he's God, he willingly became our sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. He willingly drank from our sinful cup so that we could drink the water that he is bringing. See, he's on a rescue mission and he's not half-hearted about it. He is all in. He's not casual. He is all in. He embraces the awkward. And that's what we see here in those first few verses. So now Jesus has her attention. As readers, I think he has our attention as well. And so he embraces the awkward. Number two, Jesus then explains the need. He explains the need. Look at verse 10 with me. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir... The woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Let's pause there. So to help her, to explain the need to her, to help her understand the spiritual reality, Jesus uses an everyday illustration that every single one of us can understand, doesn't he? Being thirsty, right? We've all been there. Have you ever been extremely thirsty? I'm talking like two-a-day practices in the middle of August, thirsty, or mowing the yard in the middle of summer, kind of thirsty, or going on a hike and forgetting your water in the truck, kind of thirsty. In that moment, do you want some chocolate milk, some hot chocolate, some Dr. Pepper, something like that? No, of course not. You want water. 
That's the only thing you want in that moment. It's, it's so, like, water's always good, but especially in that moment, it, there's nothing better. It's the only thing that will satisfy, and that's the, that's the point that Jesus is making with this illustration here. Look at the conversation. He says in verse, what, seven through nine, he says, give me a drink, and she's shocked, and he has her attention. Verse 10, he says, if you knew who I was, well, you'd ask me for living water. Verse 11, she's not picking up on what he's putting down. She, she says, what, are you, are you too good to drink this water? Like, this is, this is Jacob's well. Jacob himself, all of his, like, they drank from this. Are you too good? And, and we don't have time to get into it, but John the writer is saying, yeah, he's, <laughs> he is. He's greater than Jacob. He's greater than, than Israel. All right. And he says to her in verse 13, he says, if you drink this water, well, you'll be thirsty again. And you will. If you just drink normal old tap water, you're going to be thirsty again. But Jesus says, but I'm offering water that will quench your thirst forever. Not only that, it will be like a spring in your soul just bubbling over. See, in this moment, Jesus is talking about water, but he's not talking about water. Like he's helping her, and by default, he's helping us see that we are all on this journey to satisfy a deep thirst that's inside of us. Every single one of us, like we're, we, we all have this deep spiritual thirst, whether you realize it or not, and we chase all kinds of things to quench it. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. King Solomon, this guy who had everything, he's on this journey to quench this deep thirst that's inside of him. And he talks about the fact that he tried laughing a lot. He tried eating lots of good food and drink. He tried building awesome houses. He, he tried accumulating a lot of stuff. He tried having a lot of girlfriends and being famous. And, and at the end of the day, what he says is none of that quenched his thirst. None of that could satisfy him. And even though we know that, well, we still chase those same things, don't we? Like we chase those things, happiness and joy and stuff and the big house and the, like we chase all that because we have this thirst and we think that that's gonna quench it. For this lady, I think we learned through her story that what she's chasing, and she's, she's chasing to, to fill that thirst is, is relationships, right? And Jesus, Jesus knows that. And in this moment, he's trying to tell her that although she's been chasing all these relationships to fill that, to quench that thirst, that he's the one that she's actually been looking for, you know? He's the only one that's gonna bring true satisfaction for her and quench that thirst. So he explains the need to her. And then number three, Jesus exposes what's hidden. He exposes what's hidden. Look at, look at verse 16. So she's just said, that's great. Yeah, give me some of that water that you're talking about. Verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. It's like, duh. Like, yeah, he just, yeah, he knows. Right? Verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. She starts trying to deflect and talk about worshiping on mountains and, and things. Verse 21, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. And he flips this whole idea of culture and society and everything on its head right here. 
But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, this is a massive moment. John couldn't make it any clearer for us who Jesus is, the Messiah. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So a lot going on here. Jesus is exposing what's hidden. And as we are, re- like if you don't know this story and you're just reading it, like he, he said, I have living water, you want some? And she says, yeah, sure. And then uh, like we kind of cringe at what comes next. It's like, she asked for the water, Jesus, why you gotta bring up her husband's man? Like why we gotta go, why we gotta go there? You know, like that's, that's uncomfortable. Why we, why we gotta do that? And, and it seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? But it's actually extremely loving and extremely gracious and kind because he's proving to her how much he loves her. That's what he's doing. Man, she has wounds. She has, she has hurts. We're not told what the situation is. We just know that she's had five husbands. The guy that she's living with now isn't her husband. And so she's had all of these relationships. We don't know why. I've, I guess I've kind of grown up thinking that she was an adulterous woman and just kind of cheated and bounced around from guy to guy and, and whatnot. And maybe that's the case. I don't know. But maybe she's had five husbands die. Maybe she's a widow. Whatever the case, things have not gone right in her life. Things have not gone her way. And you have to imagine she's carrying it, right? She's, she's wounded, she's hurt. She's not really proud of all of those relationships. She's not really proud of everything that she's come. She, she, she hates how the people in town look at her when she walks by. She hates how they whisper about her as she walks down the street. It's probably why she's at the well by herself, by the way. She's wounded. She's deeply hurt. And she has this thing that, thank you very much, she'd rather just not talk about, right? And Jesus brings it to the surface. She has this thing that she'd rather just keep hidden and not bring right out into the open for all to see. Can anybody else identify with her? Yeah. Man, we all have, like we all have things that we would rather just not bring up. You know what I mean? We all have things. Not a person in this room isn't affected by the brokenness and the fallen nature of the world that we live in. We all have hurts, we all have hangups, we all have things in our lives we would rather just keep hidden. And the thing about it is, it's so beautiful, is that Jesus knew. He knew. Even when he's inviting her in, he knew. It's not like he finds out about the husbands after he's already given her the the offer for living water and all that, and then he takes the deal off the table. He knew, and I want you to hear, man, Jesus knows about your hurt. He, He knows that you're screwed up. He knows about that thing that you can't seem to kick. And I'll be honest with you, even as a pastor, I I struggle with things that I thought at this point in my life I would be done struggling with. We all have things. We all have hurts and hangups. We all have things that we would rather just keep hidden. And Jesus knows, and he loves us anyway. Like, it doesn't shock him. He's not like, well, I didn't know about the husband thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit the road. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He knows. 
And I want you to hear, you don't have to hide that thing. In fact, I would say that you can't. Like, if you wanna be healed, you've gotta bring it all to Jesus. Every single bit of it, all of it. You've gotta bring it to him. See, it's whenever we try to hold on to that thing and keep it in secret, that's whenever scripture says we become a slave to it. And maybe you're experiencing that this morning and Jesus is sitting here going, man, I already know about it, bring it to me. Like, I already see it, I know it. And we think, but that's uncomfortable. (laughs) I'd rather just keep it buried, like deep inside and behind me. I'd rather just kind of act like I've got it all together. But here's the thing, Jesus never asked for that. He never asked, like he's not interested in just a better version of you. He wants you, all of you, every single bit of who you are, your brokenness, your stupidity, your hangups, all of it. Jesus says, bring it all to me. And that's what Jesus is showing her in this passage is he wants all of her. See, this isn't just easy believism. Just repeat this prayer, raise your hand, fill out this card, do your best not to cuss anymore. That kind of thing doesn't heal deep brokenness inside of us. That kind of thing doesn't bring any kind of change because it's fake, it's not helpful, right? Jesus wants all of us Not 99% of us, not just the pretty parts or the socially acceptable sinful parts, even the 1% part that we keep hidden behind us, Jesus wants everything, even the stuff that you're embarrassed by. 99% surrender is not surrender. And you think, but there's no way that he would love me if I brought this to him. Like if he knew, there's no way he would actually love me And I want you to see that whole conversation they have about worshiping on the mountain, and there's a lot going on there we don't have the time to get into. But in verse 23, he says this. He says, the Father wants such people. Like you think there's no way he would want you or accept you if you actually brought that thing that you're hiding to him. And verse 23 says, he wants such people to come and worship him. Such people, it identifies who those people are in that same passage. Such people are those who worship in spirit and in truth. Like they're genuine. They're not hiding a single thing. It's, it's, it's true worship. Listen, Jesus died for you and when he did, he died for all of you, not just the pretty parts. You can't out the cross of Jesus Christ. You just, you can't. And you can't worship him in truth if you're keeping a secret behind your back. He wants every bit of you, all of you, the embarrassing parts and all. And what you'll see is that freedom is found in him whenever you bring those things to him. It's found in him. So if you you want freedom, you gotta bring that addiction to him. You gotta bring that pride to him. You gotta bring those hangups to him, bring that insecurity to him, bring him your unfaithfulness, bring all of those things to him and you will find freedom. Listen, Jesus knew exactly what he was buying on the cross and he did it joyfully. Hebrews 12 too, we're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly who you are, the ugly parts and everything, and he did it with joy. He did it with joy. And so let Jesus call your pain into the light. 
and let him set you free because he's your healer and he's your friend. He's down on the dirt in the mess with you with both feet and that's where you're gonna find his grace and his love most tangible. And when you submit to him 100%, this says that you're gonna have living water and not just that, it's gonna be a well that's springing up inside of you. So he exposes what was hidden and then number four, she submits and, and what we see is that through submitting, we see freedom. She, number four, she experiences freedom. She experiences freedom. Look at, look at verse 39. She leaves Jesus sitting at the well and she, she runs into town. No more shame. No more shame, look at verse 39. Now, that, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. <laughs> told me everything I ever did. So, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And, the one, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. Do you see it? Like, look at her now. She's not, she's not hiding in shame anymore. She, it's been exposed, and she's been set free because it's been exposed, and now she's, she's run through the street saying, he told me everything I ever did. She's almost giddy about it, right? She's like excited about this. No more shame, she's not hiding anymore, she's free. When her deepest shame was exposed, there was nothing holding her down anymore, and the streams of living water started bubbling up inside of her and overflowing into the streets of Samaria, right? And so the question for us is this. What are you holding on to that is keeping you from that kind of freedom? What are you holding on to that's, that's keeping you from healing from freedom, from revival. I know how we are, I, I do it myself. We're pretty good at hiding those things, aren't we? Like we've figured out the things to say in small group and the things to say in church and the way to act and we end up living this dual life. And we end up kind of just doing this thing where we look like we got it all together on the outside but really we're kind of hiding this thing and, and that's an exhausting way to live and it's robbing you of true joy in Jesus. You need to know that. It's robbing you of true joy in him. Whenever she experiences this being set free from her shame, man, she's free and she's going through the streets telling everybody about what the Lord had done for her. And as we close, I just want you to see the impact that that kind of thing had. Tyler, you can go ahead and come up. We are wrapping up, because she's been set free, right? Well, now her story has an impact. Now her story has an impact. Verse 39, many Samaritans in town believed in him because of what the woman said. Because of what she said. That he's told me everything I've ever done. Now pause, like remember, you know that everyone in town knows her story, right? They've all talked about it. They've all talked about it to make themselves feel better about the stuff that they're hiding. They know. They know her reputation. And so whenever she starts coming through the streets and she's not hiding it, man, she, she's, she's using it to declare the glories of the Lord. Her real story, not a fake story, not, not the partial story, her real story is a catalyst for revival. 
And the Lord can use that kind of thing. See, I believe the world is craving real. It's craving authentic. Not watered down, not memorized answers. Not fake religion that isn't helpful at all when the mess hits. Not easy believism, just trying my best not to, not to cuss when I drive. Like real, real surrender to Jesus. Well, that kind of thing the Lord will use because this world is craving living water. It's craving people who actually have encountered Jesus and have this spring of living water just bubbling over inside of them. All right. Do you see what surrender can do? Like it'll radically transform your life and then by default everyone around you. But you and I spend so much time and energy just trying to hide that 1%. Just trying to hide that embarrassing, trying to hide that thing. And that's the thing that the Lord wants to use to, to show grace to the world, right? And when we like fully surrender, when we get real, when we become true worshipers, as he says, God will do amazing things through that. So again, last, last week, chapter three, Nicodemus, well-respected man, religious man. He's got it all together. He's wealthy. I mean, he's who you'd want to be. And John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And you're like, but does he really? <laughs> it's easy to love Nicodemus. And then chapter four hits and it's like, yeah, no, he really loves the world. He really loves every single one of us. If you think you're too far gone, you're not. If you think he won't love that part of you, he will. If you think he can't possibly love a person like you, he does. This story proves it, and better yet, the cross proves it. Where Jesus willingly laid down his life for you, died a death that you deserved, so that you could have life, so that you could have this living water. And on the cross, he willingly drinks from the sinful cup that we have so that we could drink of the living water that he's bringing to us. So I just want you to ask yourself, what are you holding on to? Like what, what are you hiding? What, what is that shameful thing that you're trying to just keep in the darkness, just pressing it down deep, hoping it never comes out? I want to invite you. It's going to take some boldness. I want to invite you to bring it to Jesus. Because I promise if you do, like that's where true freedom is found. That's where true freedom is. If you're tired of chasing all kinds of other things, just trying to quench that deep thirst inside of you, if you're tired of just living this dual kind of, do you want the living water of Jesus springing up inside of you? Well, it comes through total surrender. All of it. Not just 99% surrender, all, 100%. And when you do, you'll have this well of living water bubbling up inside of you and it'll change your life and it'll change everybody around you. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.